Happy Thursday. It's your girl, Shuli G, and we are back for another installment of Speak It. Tonight, we have a hot topic, and we are here with Brother Derek Muhammad. Everything that's been going on, of course, with COVID-19, we have that. We're, we're trying to heal. We're still trying to figure it out. We don't know. We have people still running around without their masks. There are some people who are following the rules. There are people that are just doing whatever. There are people out and about like nothing has ever happened. But in the midst of it, we are awake. Just in case some of us have fallen back to sleep, there are some people that are ever on watch and we're thankful. We have one of the watchmen here, but we were shaken yet again when we heard about our brother, Ahmad Aubrey, and then we've had more things that are just coming up. We had the sister that is in Kentucky where the police broke in her house. This was back in March. And so all of this stuff is coming up in the news. And I'm walking the other day and I say, I'm tired. I'm tired. We're tired. Lord, we tired. The people tired. We're tired of all of this happening. We're tired of the police officers or white people feeling like they have control over our lives. And I was arrested in that moment. And when I heard tired enough to do what, which brings us to this moment. So as you all are logging in, drop your city. Let us know where you're from. Get ready, get seated, like this, share this, invite your friends to the conversation because we're about to speak it. Brother Muhammad. Peace and blessings. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Brother Muhammad, I'll let you introduce yourself. I know you as an activist. You are a proponent of social justice, but I want you to tell us your story. Who are you? Well, my name is Brother Derek Muhammad. I prefer the the name or the term or the title brother to all brothers because I think that what we need in this hour more than anything else is true brotherhood and true sisterhood. We must begin to subscribe to the mentality that my brother's success is my success and my sister's success is my success. This is the mentality that we must begin to promote and subscribe to. So I love it when people refer to me as Brother Derek. Um, As you've already stated, I'm a Houston-based activist. I tackle areas related to social justice. I do a lot of work in the area of black male development, and I'm just an all-around servant. So if I could use one term to describe who I'm striving to be, uh, what I have been for the past 15 to 20 years or so, is that of a servant. Mm. And I'm just honored to be here. Thank you for serving. And we are honored to have you. We have Ms. Paula Son from McKinney, Texas. We have people that are tuning in. I, I had to have this conversation with you and I couldn't think of a better person because you are solution oriented. You are out there. You are working constantly when we're sleeping. We have somebody from Winfield, Louisiana. It's my hometown living in Maryland, but you're, you're always out there working and for the people. And I remember meeting you in a coffee shop in Houston, Texas, um, some years ago. And I just actually had no idea the power. But then I was, I met you in a coffee shop 
and then I saw you on the news and you were fighting for somebody. Tell me, how did you become an activist? That is the most difficult question and has been the most difficult question for me to answer. I can't pinpoint one particular moment where I had what they call an aha moment where I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to suit up, boot up and become a servant of the people. But to be a defender of the defenseless and a voice for the voiceless has always been something that is within me. Even as a child, I never liked bullies. I never liked mm -hmm. to see people get picked on. Um, sometimes my mother would find herself in tumultuous, violent and domestically abusive relationships. And I remember just being the first one to stand up and fight. So I've always been a fighter. It's just that I never really knew what it is that I was supposed to be fighting for. Mm. But it was my joining of the Nation of Islam and the education that I received through the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad under the guidance of Minister Farrakhan that gave me the much needed guidance that I needed to point the fight that was in me in the right direction. And so that's the journey that I've been on for some time now. That's the journey that I'm still on. I have not yet perfected my role as an activist and a freedom fighter, but that's most definitely the plan to perfect the role mm. and help as many people as I can in the process. So really to be a fighter is just something that's always been in me. And I don't think that that's something that's ex exclusive to me. Yeah. I think everybody has a fight in them. You understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I, I tell people all the time that everyone is an activist. It's just that not enough of us are active. And so part of my job and our job is to help to activate the activists in all of us. And that's really what is going to take for us to solve the problems that are in front of us as a people. Everybody's got to roll up their sleeves. Everybody's got to lace up their boots. Everybody has to be willing to make a sacrifice so that the Ahmad Arberries of the future don't have to suffer what Ahmad Arbery suffered back in February. Right. That, well, you've already said so much. You dropped so many nuggets just in that. And I want to go back. Um, what's the difference, in your opinion, between a, a servant and an activist? Because you refer to yourself as that first, so that we're clear in our minds as we're trying to figure out how to become active tonight. What's the difference between a servant and an act activist? That's a very good question. Every activist is a servant, but not every servant necessarily plays the role of an activist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Everybody can serve. Everybody should serve. Everybody has a responsibility to serve. But the activist is the one who's usually front and center. He's on the front line. Do you understand what I'm saying? And being on the front line, there's a certain level of sacrifice that is required that we understand that not everyone is quite ready to make that particular sacrifice. Yeah. But you don't have to be an activist in order to serve. And I'll give you an example. 
One of our great leaders by the name of Paul Robeson said that the battlefield is everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. That means that no matter what occupation you work in, no matter what field of endeavor you may be you know, in pursuit of, there's always something for you to do that is advantageous to the cause of the liberation struggle of Black people. Mm. And so, yeah, not everybody's going to be on the front line um, speaking truth to power in that way. But you have people who are revolutionary financiers. They may not speak well, but they put their money behind great causes. Yeah. You have educators who, when they get in that classroom, they do their best to make certain that those black children leave that classroom having known who they are and whose they are and don't go out into the streets with an identity crisis hmm. because they have to be taught in an educational system whose curriculum is not suited to their culture. So everyone can do something. And it's incumbent upon every last one of us to find that something and to be found doing that something. And again, the day we get all hands on, yes. the day all of our problems will be solved, or at least 90% of our problems will be solved through our unity. Right. And after I've had, I've been having conversations with people for the last week, and I knew that I was preparing for this topic. And one of the questions I've been asking is, what do you think we can do to fix this. And that is the common thing that people have said, unity, unity, unity. Mm -hmm. What I would say, let's talk in terms of positive unity. So what have you seen happening in the form of unity since all of this started happening? We can just say, go back three years. That gives you mm -hmm. hope that we can do this. Well, the past years, I would even say the past seven or eight years have been encouraging to me because I've seen so many young people become interested in black consciousness, mm -hmm. black history, um, activism. It's almost like it became trendy to be quote unquote woke, right? And it's our job to turn these moments into movements. Mm. Um, so that's that that's one thing that has been encouraging to me, you know, to go on Instagram and to go on social media and see just black consciousness being spread from whatever perspective um, that one might spread it. The, the, the point is that it's being spread. So I think that's where everything starts. Everything starts in the mind. Yes. You know, what you put on the mind most is what wins. And if we can continue to keep this exchange of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding going among our generation and pass it on to the next generation, yes. then we won't raise uh, another generation of boys and girls who identify more with Gucci, Air Jordans, Mercedes Benzes, and things of that nature more than they identify with the continent of Africa, right. more than they identify with their own you know, ancestry, that is what has to be removed. 
The superficiality has to be removed from the culture and it has to be replaced with substance. And so when we start thinking a different thought, come on, then those thoughts will begin to guide our habits. Come and on. our habits will begin to guide our activity. And once that new thought springs us into new habits and yes. into new activity, then we have a people, you know, that folks like the, the, the McMichaels who hunted down Ahmaud Arbery like a dog. See, they'll yeah. think twice about shedding black blood when they understand that there's a major consequence. Yes. When they understand that you're dealing with the people and the community who stand up for this and are willing to die if necessary yes. when you take one of ours. See, once we get into that mindset, and that mindset begins to guide the culture. The then everything else will begin to take care of itself. Yes. But it all begins with us starting to think a new thought, a revolutionary thought. We have to look beyond the flesh and we have to dig deeper into the spiritual. You know, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves real questions like, mm -hmm. what is my purpose in life? What? What? What was I put here to do? Yes. And if if in that purpose you don't find where you're supposed to be a servant of your people, then you have to look deeply enough into yourself. Our ancestors paid a great price. Come on, man. For us to be able to go to the schools that we attend, who too often teach us nothing in terms of our culture and, and us really knowing who we are. They paid a great price for us to be able to do business. They paid a great price for us to be able to wear African and Arabic names and things of that nature. Um, many of our grandfathers and great, great, great grandmothers went to their death standing up for principles. And I just think we'll go down in history as a sorry lot of a generation hmm. if we allow their sacrifices to be in vain correct so we gotta we gotta get geared up man and we I gotta get our heads out of the sand we have to we have to and i'm thinking about just even the things that you said the mindset is important words like culture we say that so much it's like a hashtag and that's why i wanted to move to this to talk we need to move past these hashtags it's, we feel like we're doing something when we post a hashtag and like you said, just seeing, I'm hearing your, your childhood, your upbringing is no different than some of these other people that are out here saying they're doing it from the culture. So what do you think was the, what drew you to the nation of Islam? Because everything that you're saying, I'm hearing the mindset and the teaching and the things, how they have prepared you, what drew you there in the first place versus traditional Christianity, what we believe here in the U.S.? It's a very good question. Let me start by saying that I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Methodist church and I was always very interested in the things of God. But there were so many questions that I had as a child that it appeared that my spiritual leaders were unable to answer. Hmm. And it got to the point where they would just shut me up and tell me things like, don't question God. You know, 
but I always had a longing to know the truth about myself. And I remember once my grandmother took me to a revival. It was at a high school or something. I don't remember what the man was saying. I don't remember what he was preaching. I don't remember what scripture he was calling. I just remember that whatever he was saying broke me down so as a 12, 13-year-old child that they had to help me to my car. Wow. Like as if though I was an elder, you know. And so I remember that. And I just remember other times where my longing for to, to be connected to real spiritual power mm. manifested itself in me as a child. I remember times when my mother would be in the living room, you know, just hanging out with her friends and they'd be, you know, playing records on the record player, having a little drink and just playing dominoes and having fun. And I would be in the back room, you know, trying to read the Bible and get an understanding like 13 14 years old and, and this is why i tell parents not to make the mistake of thinking that their child is not interested in spiritual things mm. children yeah. are very very spiritual beings we just can't dismiss the god in them when they come to us with questions that we don't know how to answer mm -hmm. and so you know it was just me growing up and kind of starting to see the world for what it was in terms of the racism factor, the discriminatory factor and how black people are treated worldwide. And then when I heard Minister Farrakhan speak what he was speaking with such boldness, that was almost like the magnet that pulled me into the direction of Islam Okay. And at some point I began to study and it just wasn't long before I realized, hey, this is for me. This okay. is the direction I want to go in. So you were, uh, I heard you say that spiritual power. So do you feel like that desire for spiritual power and being a part of the nation that the two have come together and that's helped you to realize your purpose? 100%. Okay. 100%. And let me say this. Yes, me joining the nation and my longing for spiritual power. I call it power, but it was really understanding Okay. that I was looking for. It came together at that moment. But what I didn't realize is that I had a long journey mm. ahead of me. And it's a journey that I'm still on. So I don't want to make it seem like I joined the Nation of Islam and all of a sudden, you know, I started floating. Got it. Got it. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I had a lot to learn that okay. I didn't know I had to learn and I still do now. But 20 some odd years later, I can say with great exactitude that joining the Nation of Islam is the best decision that I've ever made in my life. Okay. And I'm asking these questions in a certain way because we're here. I'm interested. Speak it is about 
speaking your truth and to me getting an understanding of people from their stories and their backgrounds because like you said we're, we're shaped by those things we're a sum total of all of these experiences and things like that and just also dispelling myths about you know religion and all of that but now let's move back into it with the nation and how they move and i'm saying this because of the respect and i say that openly the respect that I have for these type things, when something is going down in our communities, at this point, I have come to turn like, hey, what y'all doing over there? Because I wanna make sure I'm good and I'm ready. And I've seen some characteristics in, in people that are part of the nation that, again, I admire. And I feel that we all should possess in a time like this. So tell me about the things that you've learned and the characteristics that you have developed, not mm -hmm. even as a man, it could be through the nation or being a part of it and learning or not. The things, the characteristics that you feel like we need to have to be strong and to move needles in this mm -hmm. hour, because that's what needs to happen right now. Right. Well, we're taught that God himself possesses many characteristics. They're called the 99 attributes of God. And in those attributes, you have beneficence, there's mercy, there's patience, but God is also the destroyer. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And we see his destructive power through the forces of nature and through other ways. Yeah. So, but in this particular time right now, some things that I've learned in the nation that are helpful to myself and other Muslims and others who subscribe during the period of period of crisis, I think one of the greatest is discipline. Discipline, learning how to discipline your tongue, meaning speak when it's wise to speak. Be still when it is wise to be still. We've been taught that we should eat no more than one meal a day, which helps us to discipline our bodies mm. against hunger. Well, in America right now, there's a great fear of a food and water shortage. And so if a time comes where you don't know what you're going to eat throughout the entire week, it helps to be able to fast for a day or two and discipline yourself so that you will be able to survive. And I guess that's basically what I'm saying. My love. I was taught survival <laughs> tactics and techniques in the nation of Islam decades ago, long before there was ever even the thought of a crisis like the COVID-19 crisis. And I'm happy to say that it is a blessing and it's coming in handy. Um, another thing that I ta was taught in the Nation of Islam is that as Black people, we are behind enemy lines. Hmm. The American dream was not created for you and I. <laughs> you know, these are harsh words that it's very difficult for Black people, many Black people, to swallow. I know it's hard. Yeah. yeah. But until we accept this as a reality, we won't be ten toes in end when it comes to doing what we need to do in order to survive 
and to come out on the other side of this thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, what happened to Ahmad Arbery? Heartbreaking. Mm. It was heartbreaking to watch that. But if you were surprised by what happened to Ahmad Arbery, then you you've been living under a rock. Yeah. This is unfortunately this is nothing new. Now it stings as if though it's something new because we as a people we, we're not built like that. We're not built in such a way to where we can watch somebody hunted down and lynched in broad daylight and it be normal for us. Yeah. That's, that's that's not just... in black folk. Yeah, nah. Uh-uh. To 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 accept that as if though it's nothing. So and which is why we're hurting the way we're hurting. We by nature are a spiritual people. But these are things that have been happening to yeah. us for the 465 years since we've been here in this country. And to think that what we saw happen to Ahmad Arbery was mild in comparison to some of the torture and terror yeah. that our ancestors suffer, it should make you want to think twice about where we really stand in this country. We had a black president for eight years and our community still looks the same. Yes. And so if we put our hope in, into the American dream and not into independent thought and actions that can create an independent future for our children, then we are suckers. Yes. We're what? fools. We're fools waiting to be exploited for another generation. And so in my opinion, you know, okay. I said I said this on another program and I'll say it a thousand times. The most horrific tragedy of the year 2020 is not the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. The most horrific tragedy of what happened in the year 2020 is the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Excuse me, the lynching. The lynching. Let me get it right. Of Ahmad Arbery, and I'm going to tell you why. You know, at some point, America will get past the coronavirus. But it's been 465 years, and she still has not gotten past the hatred that exists in this country. Correct. Of black people. That's the real pandemic. And I think that Ahmaud Arbery video was exposed to the public just in time to remind us of what the real pandemic is in this country. And that is not to disrespect any life that was lost mm -hmm. during the COVID-19 crisis. But it is estimated that a hundred million of our ancestors are at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, having died during the transatlantic slave trade. The real pandemic yeah. in America is racism yeah. and, and anti-black sentiment that makes us makes it dangerous for people, uh, black people in this country. We are not safe here. I don't feel safe here. 
I don't feel right now. I don't feel safe. How do we get to that point? You mentioned unity. How do we, how do we get there? What do we do? Cause I don't. Um, some people are saying, go out, get a gun. You know, we got to do this. We got to start policing our own communities. We have to do this. How do we mm -hmm. survive this and not even just survive it, but just overcome? How do you, mm -hmm. I don't even know what the right question, but we'll start with surviving. So yeah, we survived this by. Well, you have to first survive. You yeah. said the, the key word. And yeah, you have to survive physically, but you have to also survive psychologically. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to get your head together because when you live in fear, you make critical mistakes. And those critical mistakes can cost you your life, cost members of your family their lives. Mm -hmm. You have no reason to fear, okay? I want you to imagine a, a person going to the doctor, you know, he or she has experienced some symptoms and the doctor runs tests, you know, they test the blood, they do the, the EKG, I think that's what it's called. And every test comes back and it's pointing to or pointing in the same direction. So the doctor tells this person with all of these symptoms, hey, you've got cancer. Whoa. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That's not news that anybody wants to get no. during a doctor's visit. So once you realize the position that you're in, that's, you, you have to accept your position in this particular scenario. That's what Black people have to do. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, you, you say, okay, you know, I've said my prayer. I've decided, first of all, that I want to live. So, doctor, what do you suggest? And a good doctor will tell you, listen, you have to undergo a total lifestyle change hmm. if you want to survive this. Okay. As a people if we want to survive and if we want to thrive in the future, we have to undergo a total lifestyle change. Okay. Meaning, yeah, just, I'll just give you a, a, just a few things that we have to do. First okay. of all, we have to realize that less is more. Mm. And if being quarantined in our homes under stay in place orders have not taught us anything else, is that we don't need half the stuff that we dying for anyway. Anyway. So you have to almost take on what they call a minimalist mentality. You see, when the wildfires hit California and they start burning up white folk home in the, homes in the hills, man, when those when, when that blaze of fire was coming toward those homes, those people weren't worried about their valuables. Hmm. Get minimalism. Get what you need in order to survive. Let's go. Yeah. So what yeah. I'm saying is that's the mentality that we have to have. We have to take on the mentality that 
we have to realize that the things that we thought were valuable, most of those things don't hold any value at all. And listen to me. And the most valuable thing that we have is each other. Hmm. So that's a mindset that we take into this lifestyle change. Okay. Now, that lifestyle leads us into looking at our spending. Black people have estimated $1.2 trillion in spending power. And that's annual. That's every year. Yes. $1.2 trillion. I think that's it, right? Let me ask you a question. What do we look like collectively being worth $1.2 trillion, but sitting around waiting on a $1,200 check to come from Donald Trump because we don't know what to do during a period of crisis? See, the problem is that $1.2 trillion is spending power. See, spending means you're talking about what goes out. That's true. Not what we're saving, not what we're investing, not what we are um, purchasing or putting into those things that we're going to need to survive. Yeah. So as a people, we have to move from being a consumer nation into being a producing nation. That's a lifestyle change that we have to undergo. Yeah. What do you think it's going to take for us to make that shift? Because when they talk about the culture, a lot of this stuff that's doing it for the culture, like you said, goes back to that superficial. So that mm -hmm. mindset shift, less is more. But how do you, it sounds cute, but then this is, like you said, it's pushed. It's out there. It's it's in the news. It's in the media. Right. Practically. I mean, it's an uphill road, Julie. Yeah. It's an uphill road. We have to continue to educate. But I'm going to say this. Um, I read a quote somewhere that says that what knowledge does not teach you, rock bottom will. Ooh. Rock bottom will. I went to the farmer's market a couple of weeks ago. And I was wondering what was going on. I can't even turn the corner. There's so many cars just packed up together. I had to, you know, go the back road. Yeah. And so when I got done at the farmer's market, I came back down the main street and I'm driving against the traffic and I saw a line of cars. I'm like, where are these people going? Line of cars like <laughs> six miles long. <laughs> they in the line for food. Trying to get this food. Yeah. Like people are suffering for real. And if waking up not knowing where your child is going to get his or her next meal from isn't enough to send a common sense signal to you that says this $800 purse is useless to me. Thank if, you. If, if that does not twist your arm to make you want to change your habits. And I don't know what will. Mm, this but, has been real for, yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. We gotta stop being wasteful with mm -hmm. our resources. We have to get serious about nation building and we have to put our resources into things 
that materialize over time. We got to stop investing in liabilities mm. and we got to start investing in assets. Now, don't get me wrong. You, you're going to have some crash dummies out there. Yes, Lord. Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> that that's going to go right back. You know what they say? They say, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. Negro, have you, do you remember what normal looked like? What is normal? Right. Like, was that cute then? Yeah. I mean, black folk being at the bottom has always been normal. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back to that. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. Well, we, we, we talked about, to, go ahead. We have to, one, one, one more lifestyle change that we have to make. Okay. Cause there are many of them, but one of, another one is that we have to be more mindful of our health. Okay. You know, we running around here talking about black power, but you cannot achieve black power in poor health. You just can't. I don't give a damn how many guns you go buy. <laughs> if you can't breathe because your immune system is compromised because you've smoked and ate and drank yourself into a stupor. It's not gonna matter, brothers. Mm. So being healthy is revolutionary. Wow. That's the hashtag. If you want to use a hashtag. <laughs> that yeah, being being healthy is revolutionary. And I, I think I, I don't know, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I really think that what we've gone through with this COVID-19 crisis is gonna wake some people up. You know, I'm seeing people going out and purchasing seeds and building mm -hmm. gardens in their backyards yep. because they realize that, you know, black people went from being so melanated that <laughs> the virus wasn't gonna touch us. That was the first myth. <laughs> to listen, listen to being those who are most likely most likely to die. Yeah. We went, we went from being least likely to die to being most likely to die. Why? Because of pre-existing conditions, yes. lifestyle changes. And so, yeah, in order for us to survive, we're going to have to undergo a total lifestyle change. Yes. So my peeps put that as a hashtag. Thank you so much. Healthy is revolutionary. So mindset shift. Mm -hmm. lifestyle change got to mm -hmm. get our health right uh, uh keila johnson said powerful message we've had people that have been chiming in oh i'm just peace and blessings to you all yes just letting this breathe just letting this breathe for a moment right now <laughs> i was gonna say while we're letting it breathe i want to touch very briefly on the importance of us owning land come on Land is the basis of freedom. Every major war that has been fought throughout history has been fought over land. If we want to be more healthy, then you cannot dismiss us growing our own food. We can't grow our own food unless we have acres and acres and acres of land to do so. And so for 300 plus years, our ancestors were forced 
to chop cotton, pick cotton, and cultivate the land in order to make other people rich and wealthy. Unfortunately, unfortunately, working the fields and farming became a turnoff for our culture because of what our ancestors went through. But I heard the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan say something that I'll never forget. He said, there's nothing wrong with picking cotton as long as you picking it for yourself. And so we have to get out of this mindset that agriculture is lame. <laughs> right. We, we, we got to get away from that. Farming is lame. There's nothing lame about being in control of your own food supply. That's what's power. Lame, what's <laughs> lame is going out and paying $300 for a Gucci belt that you can't afford. That's lame. So we got to shift these narratives. Yes. And we have to get back to the land. Wow. Wow. Isn't that funny how, yes, everything that is good for us, good to us, the best option, like there has just been this total shift where we are just made to believe the opposite, such as going back to their word unity, because we can't let that go. Going back mm -hmm. to, like you said, health. Because just even growing up, country girl from Louisiana, we had a garden. We had those things. I'm talking picking peas, shelling peas till my, my nails were purple and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But we had that. And it didn't seem like the cool thing. But now I wish I had it. Now right. it's like to be able to go out there and have those things. And we've been fed so many messages and I want you to go back and talk about propaganda and how that works towards division in our, for us. I know I've heard you talk right. about propaganda and the way you break that down. Can you educate the people on that? Just how, right. how that works and how we just, we fall prey. Yeah, for those of you who don't understand the concept of propaganda, propaganda is the practice of telling a lie over and over and over and over and over again and putting bright colors behind that lie and beautiful music behind that lie. And you literally force a lie on the psyche of a people until they believe that it's the truth. Okay. It was a concept that was made famous during the time of Adolf Hitler. Okay. And so propaganda against black people has become most effective on black people. Jesus. Meaning some of our elders look at the younger generation as if the younger generation of black children are a dangerous generation. Why? Because our elders, you know, if they don't do nothing else, they watch the news every night. And when you turn on the news and all you see of black boys are them being involved in police chases, bank robberies, mug shots. If that's all you see every night, sooner or later, every black child you see, that's what you'll begin to think of that child because the little brother who worked hard to win the science contest, he didn't make the news. And so we have to be mindful of propaganda. I'm not talking about how white people see black people. I'm talking about how black people see Black people. When we begin to see the God 
and mm. one another, then we'll begin to want to cultivate the God in one another. Mm. We grew up in a society where we were taught that everything white is good mm -hmm. and everything black is bad. When you go to a wedding, which is supposed to be a happy occasion, you wear what? White. White. When you go to a funeral, which is supposed to be a sad occasion, you wear what? Black. Black. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the 80s. The darker you were, the more likely you were to be called the N-word. You know, when you're light-skinned and you got, quote, unquote, good hair, then doors would fly open for you. In Louisiana, they call it the brown, what they call it, the, the paper bag. Test. Oh, the, the paper bag. I'm like, test. I'm smiling, but like at the same time, like, ooh, it's a mess. Yes, the brown paper exactly. bag test. Yes. Right. When you play a game of pool, you can't win the game until you take the white ball and make the black ball disappear. Same with the game of golf. <sighs> um, even when you, 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 you come around to Easter, they give you a bag of jelly beans. You know, Whoa! You eat, the jelly beans. You eat the you eat the red jelly bean and it tastes good. You eat the green jelly bean and it tastes mint, minty like spring. You eat the white one and it tastes nice. When you eat that black jelly bean, it's like like you're right. They have done they have done a number. You're right on black people in terms of making us to feel inferior. Mm. to other people and so there's no such thing as white supremacy if you don't have black inferiority Jeez. Mm. Black, black inferiority is the fuel for white supremacy when we begin to see the value in ourselves then the myth of white supremacy it disappears wow. it disappears so dr king said it like this a man can't ride your back unless you already bent over. He can't ride your back. Facts. Facts. And a black man and woman, we're like a seven-foot man drowning in five feet of water. Wow. Just stand All up. All we got to do is stand up and save ourselves. Because ain't nobody else coming to save us. We got to save ourselves. Oh. So, and so back to the, the, the propaganda. Yeah. We have to stop believing the widespread lies about black folks. We have to be mindful of the words that we speak to one another and about one another. Language. You know, I tell my sisters, if you have to use a B word to describe yourself, why not use the word beautiful? Mm. If you just have to use a B word to describe yourself. And, and, and I know what you're saying. Oh, brother Derek. Yeah, wow. my, friend, we, my, my friends and I, we use the B word, but we only do it as a term of endearment. Yeah, but that word has power. Language, has power. man. Black men referring to one another as niggas. That word has power. Why not address one another as king? What's going mm. on, king? How you doing? See, what I call you when I see you really sets the pace for how that interaction is going to go. If I call you my nigga, yeah. then I'm giving you something to live up to, but I ain't giving you much to live up to. Wow. But if I call you my brother 
Or if I say, what's going on, King? How you doing? Now I'm giving you something to live up to. And so one of the ways that we can wage war against propaganda, against our community, is for us to be mindful of our conversation. Mm -hmm. Be mindful of the good conversation. I'm like, language, that's me throwing it out there because that's my that's lane. What, I yeah. know that is your lane. But that's what be, that's what creates the energy. It's words. In the beginning was what? The word. The word, the word has power. So <sighs> let us be mindful of the things we share on social media. Let us be mindful of the things that we even press the like button on. When you press mm. the like button on something, you're co-signing, mm -hmm. whatever that is. We got to undergo a radical lifestyle change as a community. But I'm crazy enough to think that we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And when you talk about activism, if there's anything that I can do, which is why you're here, I'm like, let's just start a conversation that's about a solution, not just to talk about it, because it was it started with the tired. I'm tired. And mm -hmm. just the analogy with the seven, what, the seven foot man in five feet of water standing up. So I yes. feel like this is the way that we can stand up to get a language out or a message out to people. So you're saying you're tired. That's another thing. Language. You're tired. You're tired. How do we get mm -hmm. our energy? So these things. So you talked about our mindset, our economics and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm, you're telling us how we can get it. What else can you add to that? Anything else? So our language, mm -hmm. get our well, money right, our body right. Money right, body right. <laughs> um, but most importantly, we, we've got to get our minds right. Another thing that we have to do is we have to be willing to let go of what I call toxic traditions. Okay. Things that are traditional in our community but really don't serve a purpose. You understand what I'm saying? Mm, such as you know, holidays, mm. like Christmas, mm. where we go out and spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make these corporations rich. These corporations, they use prison labor. Yes. So they, they, they make our family members who are incarcerated work for them for free. Then when that family member gets out of jail, they can't even go and get a job at the corporation that they work for when they were behind bars because they've got a felony now. Yes. See, we, we feed that hmm. when we feed into toxic traditions like Christmas, which has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. If you want to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, I don't blame you. Mm -hmm. But you might want to do it in a way that will be pleasing to him. So what I'm saying is we're at the point now where we understand that this don't make sense. Santa Claus, this, none of this makes sense anymore. Why are you still doing it? Yeah. Why? Like, 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 and, and I'm not, not to pick on Christmas, but I'm saying anything. Mm -hmm. Going out on Friday night, that's just something that ran in the family for the past, you know, 30, 30 40 years. But why? Frying fish on Fridays. <laughs> why? Yeah. So we have to begin 
to question why we do what we do. Okay. And when what we do no longer makes sense mm -hmm. and it's no longer pro productive and progressive what it is that we're trying to achieve for ourselves our families and our community let us not be afraid to get rid of it okay okay yeah. how do we send a message to let people know we are awake for real not just the hashtag um we're tired enough to do something um, and we're, we're ready for action. How do we start doing that? Do we march? Do we boycott these places that fund the prisons? What do we do? How do we even get started? Because I feel like me personally, mm -hmm. like the march situation, I'll march if it will move the needle. But what can we do to move the needle? I think that's the best question. Like, what do we well, do to come together well, in unity? to show them that we're, we're ready and we're not going away and this is going to stop. I mean, I've organized my share of protests mm -hmm. and protests do have their place, but I'll be the first to tell you that that kind of direct action is, is not the most effective form of direct action. And this is coming from someone who's organized protest a protest is only as effective as the organizing that takes place behind the protests one of our great leaders by the name of stokely carmichael may god be pleased with him had three words of advice for black people that are more relevant now than ever organize 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 hmm. Organize, organize, organize. It is organization that is the new and most effective form of protest. You really don't have to protest against the white owned business. Mm -hmm. The most effective form of protest is just to put your money into the black one. And you don't have to say a word. True. You no has, no hashtag necessary. <laughs> no. That's how you protest. Because these people that we're dealing with, they only they only respect what hits them in the pocket. They only respect votes. Mm. Okay. Okay. And they respect what kicks them in the behind. I'm saying it nicely. I'm saying it nicely. Okay. They don't respect anything else. And they and they do respect your ability to expose them. Because mm. their rulership over the people is dependent upon their ability to continue to deceive people. Wow. With these false narratives and these lies. So when okay. you expose them, you take away their ability of rulership i see okay. like when they can no longer fool you they wow. can no longer rule you so we must engage constantly in educating the masses on every level that this is a chess board okay this place called america and for 465 years we have not been the kings we have not been the queens we have not been 
the rooks, I think that's what they call it. We have been pawns hmm. on chessboard. But when pawns begin to organize themselves properly, we take the kingship. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's about us being organized. Um, we don't have the time to go into all of it, but an organized black vote yes. is power. Okay. Meaning, meaning we as people have an just like the gay community, just like the Jewish community, just like every other community. Strong, any politician, any politician, I don't care. I don't care how many black friends you had on your basketball. I don't care. I don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican. I don't care. Anybody who does not go along with the black agenda does not get the black vote. That is power. Not just Anyone showing up to the church, right? What does that look like? Showing up to the church and shaking hands? What does that look like? That's one of those toxic traditions mm -hmm. that I talked about that we got to get away from. Um, any, any, any business that's disrespectful to any black person must be punished. Mm. Um, I want to say by us not spending our money there, but in earnest, we really have to get to the point to where we're spending our money with our own anyway. That means you can be a nice and liberal white business. I know that when it's all said and done, you're going to hire your own children before you hire mine. I'm putting my money with my own people. I don't care if it's a crisis or not. Mm -hmm. Again, we have to undergo a lifestyle change. Yeah. And I don't know why it's like pulling teeth to get us to understand these things. When you go into the Asian community, try to find a black business sucking money out of the Asian community. Go into the Jewish community, try to find a black owned business in the Jewish community. And if there is one, I guarantee you Jewish people are not patronizing that business over their own mm. and i understand that that's intelligence you understand what i'm saying yeah. I, I, I don't i don't think there's anything wrong with that i say it all the time even mm. our mexican brothers and sisters they'll come and open up a business in a city like houston you walk in to patronize the business surely they don't even speak english in the business this is how confident they are that they're going to be supported by their own people. Yeah. They don't yeah. even, they may not even hire English speaking people. More power to them. Yeah. Hey, we have to, we have to develop a gang mentality mm -hmm. when it comes to our dollars. And, you know, we can't claim to be revolutionaries and our, and the black dollar only circulates in our community for six hours. Six before hours. Before it leaves. Six hours. Another community. No, we we gotta. We have to remedy that. So does and that mean? Does that mean it'll go into the business, but the person in the business doesn't necessarily stay within the community? They then take it and go elsewhere. Is that what that looks like? I, I'll give you an example. Okay. Let's say you have a black man who works at McDonald's, 
Let's say he works at McDonald's. Okay. And let's say he gets on his check on Friday and his check is $400. I don't know what how much, you know, McDonald's workers make. But let's say he, he got a $400 check. When he leaves out of McDonald's, he goes across the street to the check cashing place. Mm. Okay. The check cashing place is going to charge him a certain percentage. So he already out of $20. So that 400 just went to 380. Yeah. All right. Now, now, now he's going across the street to the, 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 the place to, to pay his light bill. Light bill is 150 bucks. Okay. And they're going to charge him a $10 fee. So he's going to drop 160 across the street at the, the store where he pays his light bill. All right. So now he's down to what? To 220. Okay. He, he got $220 left. It's ticking. Yeah. Yeah. So when he leaves, he's going to the grocery store. He in the hood now. He's mm-hmm. going to the grocery store. Out of that 220, he got to spend 80 on groceries because they got to eat for the week. So now he's up to 140, 140 bucks he got, right? He's walking down the street and he goes into the convenience store. And that's where he buys his cigarettes or whatever his little bad habits are. He does, you know, to get him through the week. And let's say he spends $30 there. So he's down to what? 90 bucks. Hell, when he get home and his wife is... <laughs> His wife or his girlfriend is on the way out the door. She got to go get her hair done. It's Friday. Okay? So she's so he $90 down. He got to give her $70 to get her hair done. He went and sat down in his living room, turned on the television, drank his beer with 20 bucks in his pocket. And check this out. The same, the same Korean family that owns the check cashing place owns the place where he went to pay his light bill. Listen, owns the supermarket. Okay. Owns the convenience store and owns the beauty salon and the nail shop where his wife is going to get her hair and nails done. You just gave all your money to one family. Wow. After you done worked all week long and nine times out of ten, that same family probably got some steak in that McDonald's. <sighs> that you so this this is how we're being exploited in our community. So what we have to do is we have to create the alternative. It's, it's one thing for us to tell that black man, don't spend your money in that convenience store is something different for us to put our money together and open up a convenience yeah. store right alongside of it and educate that brother on why he should support his own. Listen, if you own a black business, that business is not just a business. Hear me, black entrepreneurs. That business is also a school. Mm. You're going to have to teach your people why it is to their advantage to support their own. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Okay. What do you say to the people, real quick, as we get ready to try to bring this thing to a close? (laughs) 
Let me say to the people yeah. real quick that if you read the Bible and you study where Joseph became a ruler in the land where he was once a slave, mm -hmm. that story is an allegorical prophecy of black people's future in America. Mm. We have a glorious future. We have a bright future. It may not look like it right now, but the caterpillar doesn't look like the butterfly until the butterfly starts flying. Thanks. And so I wanna say to my people, be encouraged. We have to go through the storm in order to get on the other side of the storm because that's where the treasure is. Mm -hmm. But the story of Joseph is really the story of black people. We will one day be rulers in the land where we were once slaves, mm -hmm. but we must first overcome the emancipation of the mind. We must unite, we must get up, we must do for ourselves, and we must begin to look out for our own, mm. period, point blank. Even if we don't want to own the business, but we can still give to another business, how can we contribute and be active? If you say, Brother Muhammad, I, or Brother Derek, I, I don't want to own a business. How mm -hmm. can I be active? I'm, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a speech pathologist. I'm just whatever you want to say, you just because I don't believe we're just anything. Mm -hmm. You've talked about the money and those kind of things. Where can a person get started where they are and they don't necessarily want to own a business or any of that? Well, you get started where you are by supporting that which is black owned. That's where you get started. Um, I don't meet too many black folk that don't want to own a business. I meet black people who don't know how, you know, to, to own a business. Yeah. But there are no shortage of not just businesses, but even programs for you to support. And everybody just find that one thing that you do. Mm -hmm. and do it consistently if it's going to volunteer at the community center on Saturdays and let's just say you're an accountant and you can teach financial literacy or something figure out what it is that you can do to contribute it don't have to be nothing radical mm -hmm. but if it's elevating the consciousness of the people just do it consistently don't just do it when you're sprung into action by something happening like what happened to Amai Arbery. There will be other tragedies like that, unfortunately. But when they take place, you should be able to, you shouldn't have to say, what should we do? You should already be doing it. Mm. You know, the good brother Nipsey Hussle called it the marathon. Yeah. And that's what freedom is for us as a people. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. <sighs> and we build this black nation not overnight. We build it by adding a brick every day. <sighs> and so again, Paul Robeson said it best. Brick, the battle 
The battle is everywhere. Whatever, whatever your gift is, whatever gift God gave you, whatever it is that you bring to the table, all that we ask is that you find a way to contribute consistently to the liberation struggle of your people and apologize to nobody for doing what must be done to help to elevate your people. Hell, everybody else is doing it. It's time for us to get on page and to get mm. on call. All right. Be Thank you, sister. You are welcome. Be unapologetically great, people. Thank you for this. Thank you for elevating our consciousness. And thank you to our friends, Sports Talk with Friends. They were in here participating. They support. This is a brother cast. They support us. Um, yes. Tune in to more next Thursday. We have conversations that need to be had. Jump on over to our Fear to Freedom group on Facebook, where we're continuing to have these conversations to walk people from fear to freedom, to speak it, to speak their truth. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings unto you, Brother Derek. And until next time, people, go out, be unapologetically great, and speak it.